This episode of the Fat or Future podcast is sponsored by, well, me and my diet crash course exclusively from Himalaya Podcast Networks. What is my diet crash course? Well, have you ever been curious about 20 of the top diets in the world? You wanted the cliff notes to all of them because you just don't want to read all the books. I have you covered with my diet crash course. 20 of the top diets in the world and maybe some you haven't heard of. Should you try them? What are they about? What does the research say? What does the research maybe not say? Himalaya.com forward slash diet and listen for free and use code diet to listen for two weeks of the Himalaya Diet Crash Course exclusively on the Himalaya Podcast Player. Himalaya.com forward slash diet. And I will see you there. Welcome to another episode of the Fat or Future Podcast. I'm Joey Thurman. And I have a living legend in front of me turning 59. He's going to be 60 coming up. And I tell you what, I bet the guy can lift more and outrun me. And, uh, and definitely on an intellectual level, you have me beat the great Paul Check. I don't, normally, I give a bio for everybody and I, I'm, I'm the hype man. I can't even list everything that you've done. I mean, you're world renowned in exercise physiology and nutrition. You have the Czech Institute and you're just truly a student of life. And I truly appreciate that. And uh, you've been one of the people that I've been following for quite some time uh, in my fitness career. So uh, just first of all, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, it's truly an honor. Thank you. My pleasure. Always glad to share. Yeah, I mean, that, that's great. Because, you know, a lot of times these fitness experts or gurus, if you want to use that name, I think often they forget that where they came from and that at some point, like you need to keep learning new things. And if people don't give people a chance, um, you know, such as right now, you're, you're giving me a chance to get on here and take an hour out of your day. And I know you're really busy and um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, we all come from the dirt <laughs> and that's where we return as well. At least our bodies. Uh, yeah. All right. And I've got the quote for the trailer. We all come from the dirt. We're set. Okay. You can go. You can have a good day, man. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the other thing too is a lot of people think I'm a fitness professional, but I'm a holistic health practitioner mm -hmm. and I deal with all aspects of the human life, the physical, the emotional, the mental, and the spiritual. So, yeah. And that's a, a Czech Institute, corrective holistic exercise kinesiology. So you're yes. embodying a lot of different modalities. Uh, you're you're mm -hmm. teaching experts from across the world and you've, you've brought people back from injury and Laird Hamilton and uh, who's a motocross guy that there's a, there's a quote uh, on your website that. You oh yes. Uh, that's Robbie Madison. He's broken all of evil Knievel's records and he's a stunt man in a lot of movies and he's world famous for his motorcycle tricks. And uh, he, uh, I've rehabbed him from uh, multiple bad injuries, but he, the testimonial that he's giving is he had a really bad crash and it pushed one of his ribs right into the aorta of oh. his heart. And nobody would touch him because they didn't know if it had punctured the aorta. And they said, if the ribs gone through the aorta, when they pull the rib out, he'll bleed to death. So uh, everywhere he went, the doctors, the therapists, nobody would do anything for him. And I said, well, if it was that far, if it, if it had punctured it, you'd be bleeding already. And so there'd be signs of that, but it took me, I don't know, maybe, 30 or 40 minutes and I completely got his rib back in place and got him the pain. He was able to 
within, I think I did about a, maybe three weeks or a month of rehab and he was back performing perfectly and it blew his mind because, you know, he thought for sure his career was over. He was in a lot of pain too. Yeah. A, a sublux rib is a, a real bitch of an injury. But I've, bring, I've brought lots of people out of medical retirement that were told they would never perform again. I brought Richard Dunwoody out of retirement from horse racing and he was forced into medical retirement. And after I rehabilitated him, he won the triple crown and wrote about me in his autobiography. And uh, Gary Roberts, the famous hockey player that was a center or the uh, captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, was forced into medical retirement. I, Charles Polican was his strength coach and he didn't know what to do with him because everything made him worse. So yeah. Charles hired me and I brought Gary back and he probably made about 25 million more. <laughs> the most expensive rugby player in the world in uh, 1995, Ricky Stewart for the Canberra Raiders was forced into medical retirement with two severe back injuries at once. I rehabbed him and he made many millions more dollars. So um, there's a long list of them. Danny Way, there's all sorts of guys that were, you know, pretty much told their career was over and nobody knew what to do. And using the approaches that I teach through the Czech Institute, they all got rehabilitated and, and back to uh, not only good performance, but exceeding previous performances. And, and why do you think that is? Why, why do you think uh, you know, modern medicine couldn't fix these people? What were they missing that you saw? Well, modern medicine's based on a scientific materialist reductionist mode of thinking, and it's highly compartmentalized and territorialized. So, uh, you know, physical therapists, uh, for example, are call it bat battling with chiropractors because they think they have ownership of the human spine. And so you've got endocrinologists that study nothing but the endocrine system and immunologists and gastroenterologists and eye specialists and, and even in orthopedics you have guys that do nothing but shoulders or nothing but knees so what happens is medicine has become so narrowly focused and so compartmentalized it's like they're looking through a keyhole but the human body is a cybernetic system which by definition is a system of systems that are all interconnected so the analogy i give my students is simply this is it possible to touch a spider web in any location without affecting the entire web? Well, even a child knows, no, you can't do that. So what's causing the hormonal system? For example, if someone comes with an adrenal burnout, functional medicine practitioners will say, oh, this person's in phase two or phase three adrenal exhaustion. They need pregnenolone, licorice root, and all these pills. Yep. And I say, well... <laughs> Great, but you haven't addressed what caused the problem. You haven't looked at the factors that can cause the problem. It can be psychological, like a divorce can burn someone's adrenal glands out, mm -hmm. the loss of a loved one, a failing business, a failing um, relationship with your parents or your siblings, or uh, heavy metal toxicity or environmental poisoning or over-exercise or under-exercise or food intolerance, food allergy, a parasite infection, a fungal infection, um, you know, uh, medical drug side effects, alcohol addiction, any addiction. So really why they have such a hard time is because they're using an input output model. If I do this, this should happen. And when they do this and that doesn't happen, then they blame it on the patient 
or they refer them to someone else, but they usually refer them to someone else with the same training that looks at them through the same eyes. <laughs> and so what I teach people is we have three issues at hand, input, process, outcome. The input is almost always the belief system behind every action that gets you in trouble is a belief that led you to doing it, right? If you don't believe gluten can be a problem for people and you've convinced yourself of that, you can be highly gluten intolerant, have a lot of problems. And if you keep going to doctors and therapists that also don't believe in gluten intolerance, which will be easy to tell because they'll look as sick as you, then you aren't going to get help. So the point I'm driving at is that between the input and the output is the process and the name of the process is life. <laughs> so if you don't understand the life process and you haven't as a therapist or a doctor done enough deep healing and deep analysis and deep work in yourself, such as working with the unconscious healing the shadow, having a clear uh, sense of mission, vision, something to inspire you, something relationships to engage in, and really devoting yourself as a student of life, then you don't have the depth within yourself to plumb the depths of another person. So Czech professionals are all taken through progressively deeper and deeper processes, not only physically, but emotionally and mentally, hmm. so that they learn how to understand what the input is, what led to the injury, what the process is, what are their normal physical, emotional, mental, and belief system habits, and then what is the outcome? And so we can't just, for example, I've made a statement before that has confused a lot of doctors, and I've even had people email me or call me to say, what did you mean when you said this? And in one of my programs, I say, a Hindu's knee is not the same as a Christian's knee, is not the same as a Muslim's knee, is not the same as a Buddhist's knee. So if you're doing rehabilitation even on a knee, you're not dealing with the same thing. But if you look in an anatomy book, they'll say that's a patella tendon, that's a cruciate ligament, that's a dot, dot, dot. Right. But what they're not looking at is the fact that all those knees are basically vehicles for different belief systems. A Muslim's knee might be sore because he gets on the concrete, bows and prays five times a day and can get sore knees like a carpet layer gets sore knees. But a Christian can get his knee injured because he's running off to the Middle East to kill the, the infidels or the enemies or whatever and, and, and has a completely different belief system. So my, it's only a metaphor to say the belief system or the software is what's guiding how the knee is used. Mm. And if you keep rehabbing knees without looking at the beliefs that are driving the behaviors that injure the knee, then you're gonna be like the same, I've had professional athletes come to me that have the same knee operated on for the same diagnosis five times. And I'm like, well, <laughs> clearly they're missing the point, right? It's the same injury on the same knee yeah. and someone's making a lot of money, but you're not winning the battle. So I have to look at what they're doing with the knee. And to look at what you're doing with the knee, you got to look at, well, first of all, do you have the nutrition in your body and the ability to digest, metabolize, assimilate, and eliminate it in order to keep your knee healthy from a purely physiological 
ground zero basis. You know, if you don't have the nutrition coming in and the waste going out, then whatever parts of your body you're using the most are going to start breaking down and, and all the knee surgery in the world's not going to fix your bad diet. Or if you have bad exercise technique and hardly any medical professionals have a clue about proper exercise technique. So you see, I'm just making the point that what I do is called common sense and that's what I teach. And <laughs> looking at the human body as a, Physical being is a complete and utter mistake because it's not a machine. It's a living, breathing, biological organism that has thoughts, feelings, emotions, dreams, desires, nightmares, fears, inhibitions, insecurities, all of which affect your entire physiology because we are a psychophysical being. We're not just a biological robot. <laughs> You know, that makes a lot of sense because, uh, yeah, you're right. A physical therapist, they, they feel like they can fix that person or the chiropractor or the naturopath or whoever it is. And I played hockey through college and my, my back was always jacked up and I'd, I'd do the same thing. And I go to the same physical therapist, almost like they had the same protocol. And until I started, yes. and until I started looking at like, wait a minute, like, do I have a little regional independence going on? What's happening with my body? Is it my glutes? Is it my hips? Well, as a hockey player, you know, we got some messed up hips. So and once I realized that it necessarily wasn't my back, it was my adductors and my shoulder. And people were like, what do you mean it's not your back? Like, I'm just feeling it in my back. But then, it, then I, I was reading, reading your book right here, uh, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. I just got the second edition. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to get into that. But it just makes so much sense. And when I filled out your questionnaire on there, uh, I was like, wait a minute. I, I, if you look at me, I look like the epitome of health. But my, yeah. sc my score overall, overall was 159, which is almost, almost in the healthy range. But yeah, you're, in the, you're right medium to high there. Right. But, you know, I've, I've, got the, I've got the mercury in my teeth. I'm very stressed out. I start, started going through this whole list of things like, man, this makes so much sense. Uh, and then in there, you, you talk about, I want to get into the four doctors, but you, your dream goal or objective. And I wrote this down. And I, I was listening to one of your podcasts. You were talking about like, once you write something down, it becomes tangible like a lot, thoughts mm. thoughts are great but putting it to a piece of paper uh dream goal yeah, or objective thoughts, words, and yeah for me i put i want to go beyond the external understand who i am why i was chosen to be in this world and how i can provide value to my family and those around me i began to tear up when i did this and when mm -hmm. i and when i thought it in my head it was just an idea but paul once i once i put that to paper it became real, and this this just this flood of emotions came to me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and now that like I've got that in there, and I started repeating that yesterday, and as, as to myself today. And uh, I mean, I even thank you just for what's that on page like thirty of the book, right there. You start mm -hmm. that there. So I just think put, putting that down um, meant a lot, and I, I appreciate that. And, um, I'd like you to talk a little bit about uh, the four doctors you're ever going to need. It's an interesting concept. Yes, the four doctors is a philosophical framework um, that encapsulates what's the most essential in life. So uh, scientifically, sometimes they refer to what's called the reductio ad absurdum, which means you reduce something to the point it cannot be reduced anymore. So if you take a, a scientific materialistic viewpoint of the world, everything came from a big bang. And so 
you can't go behind the Big Bang and, and have anything to weigh, measure, or talk about. So that would be a reductio ad absurdum, right? If you say, what's gunpowder made of? It's made of three chemicals, and you can't do it with two. You have to have three. So there, you, you know, the reductio ad absurdum of a cake, it's made of flour, water, sugar, and um, requires heat and a pan sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Water, hydrogen, H2O, you, you can't go any lower than that and still have water. So what happened was, is some of my instructors and some of my top students that I really respected around 2005, this started to happen with some frequency and it made me realize, okay, I've really got to look at this because the, typically if a student is complaining, you know, I don't know what to do. You've taught us so much. How do I put it all together? Well, it's just the confusion of learning new things. Whenever you learn something new, there's always a period of chaos because if you learn something new, it means if you're going to apply it quite often, something that you were doing has to change or you can't apply the new technique, right? If you, for example, if you're used to going to bed late at night and sleeping in, but your adrenals are burnt out, and I say, guess what? Your body does a lot better if you get up early in the morning and extend your day because the sun's on its way up, so your hormonal system's already on its way up. And so then you say, okay, well, I'm gonna start getting up. There's gonna be a period of time where your body goes through chaos because it's so used to going to bed late and getting up late. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to go to bed at, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and you're going to lay there and stare at the wall and won't be able to fall asleep because your whole, whole hormonal system's entrained to the old habit pattern. So the point I'm making is there's a period of chaos when you learn something new that most people uh, need support to get through, or they just fall back into their old habits. But when when very skilled students and instructors started coming to me saying the same thing almost verbatim, but they didn't even know each other, which was, Paul, you've taught us so much. I can evaluate people all day long. I can gather more information than any doctor or therapist I've ever met. But most people have so many things wrong with them and I gather so much information. I don't know where to start because there's often 10, 12, 15 things going on at the same time. And there's no way, I can even begin to do all that with them because it'll turn their entire life inside out and upside down. Yeah. So I thought, okay, so what they were saying is how do you decide what to do? And, and what I realized is I had an internal intuitive process that I had developed from years and years of seeing patients and clients and training athletes and working through my own challenges but I now had to figure out a way to um, structure that internal process. So I went into meditation and I said to my soul, I really need you to help me synthesize this to a system that can be used by the very, very beginners to know what's the most important. And the same system should work all the way to the most elite. So it's funny that you're asking this because I was just on London Real this morning. They asked the exact same question. So I feel like it's Groundhog Day. <laughs> so I said to my soul, how do I put this together? And my soul guided me into my closet where I have hundreds and hundreds of university courses I've studied and audio books and notebooks and just, you know, loads of loads of stuff I've studied all these years. 
and it guided me right to an old herbology course from about 1989, like it was CD-ROM course. E even in 2005, when I was doing this, I was worried it wouldn't even play. It was so old. And, so I said to my soul, you want me to study a course in herbology to figure this out? My soul said, yes. So I'm lifting weights and listening to this thing while I'm working out. And all of a sudden, the, the presenter says, the Romans, a, a long time ago, the Romans had a belief that whenever anyone got sick, it was because there was a problem with one of their three doctors, Dr. Happiness, Dr. Diet or Dr. Quiet. And it hit me like a lightning bolt. I said, oh, I know exactly what they're talking about, except the Romans didn't live in a society that had issues of sedentary living. Mm -hmm. Even washing your laundry was a workout back then. I said, they're missing a fourth doctor and you can't have completion without the number four. Three is a number that moves energy, the triangle. That's why in all religions, you have a holy trinity, father, um, Son, Holy Ghost, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, etc. Um, we have four seasons. We we have um, four phases to the creative process: the thesis, antithesis, synthesis, rest. If you study the Hindu scriptures, you come across. The word OM, capital A, capital U, capital M, underscore. Ah means I awaken. Oo means I'm dreaming. I'm living my dream. M, M means I'm falling asleep. Underscore means I'm completely gone. End of cycle. I'm one with the universe. I have no identity anymore. And OM is the sound of the universe creating itself. Huh. And so the Hindu sages spending years in caves meditating all said the sound of god singing the universe into existence is om and this is what it means and interestingly as a side note several years back nasa released the first audio tracks of the sound of the sun and you can type in the sound of the sun nasa on google they now actually have the sound of several of the planets as well and the sound of the sun sounds exactly like a bunch of Buddhist monks going, oh. <laughs> oh. And so OM is a four-stage process. Yeah. Jung said number four was the number of completion. So when I added the fourth doctor, it brought it into wholeness. And then I could show what I call the wheel of life. And then, so Spring, which is the awakening phase with new growth, relates to Dr. Happiness. And that's when you say, what do I want to do this year? Summer, Dr. Movement, is the action phase. Fall is when fruit and food is harvested. And that's the afternoon or late summer phase. And then winter is the nighttime when we're sleeping, the water phase, which is Dr. Quiet Rest. So I have developed a system of alchemy. The air element is spring, and that relates to the mind. The fire element is summer, that's Dr. Movement, and that relates to action, dreaming and doing it, getting it done. 
fall is the earth element because food is tangible. So uh, food is not just physical, food is emotional, food is mental. So the physical body feeds on food, the emotional body feeds on emotions, and the mental body feeds on thought, and the spiritual body feeds on connection to a progressively larger whole. So there you see, for example, a lot of eating disorders are because people are unaware that they're trying to fill an emotional or a mental or a spiritual void with food, but it's the wrong food for that level of a person's psychophysical reality. So they keep eating and they can never satiate because they're eating the wrong substance, right? <clears throat> but the point I'm driving at is, so that gave me a way to encapsulate a lot of comprehensive teachings. And then I said to my soul, okay, now I need to develop a simple process that they can use to engage those four doctors. And my soul said, this is quite funny. My soul said, uh, grab your notebook and let's go for a walk. So at that time, we lived in our home in Vista, which had like five miles of hiking and running trails out in the bush. And I'm walking along and my soul says to me, what's the most important thing in your whole life? I said, love. And my soul said, very good, write that down. That's the number one thing. And then my soul said, what do you call it when someone's doing what they love to do? I said, living your dream. My soul said, there you go, write that down. And then my soul said, number two, what's the most important thing for you to do when somebody needs your help? I said, an assessment. And my soul said, yes. And what are you looking for? I said, imbalances. And she said, Look at the number you just wrote down. Two, Tai Chi, the male and the female. That's what creates the whole universe. Yin, that which multiplies power, draws into itself. That's the anabolic force. Yang expresses energy, divides energy. That's the catabolic force. And if those two are out of balance, you're in trouble. If you're too catabolic, that's fire. You dry yourself out, burn yourself out. If you're sedentary, you're too yin. You become a water bog and things start to rot and you get sick. So my soul said, the entire universe is created out of those two forces. And ultimately, as a therapist, it's your job to help people balance those two forces. But you don't know what balance is until you know what their dream is. Because someone that wants to be a professional athlete has to have a much finer balance than someone who just wants to play with their kids and be a secretary all day. Right. So then she said, number three. And I said, three, hmm. <clears throat> she said, what are the three most important choices you can make? So I started talking, you know, and dialoguing and all of a sudden I said, okay, the most important choice is the optimal choice. And she said, yes, write that down. <laughs> and I said, but most people don't make optimal choices. That's why I'm so busy. She said, that's right. What do you call a choice that's not optimal? Suboptimal, yes. <laughs> okay, so suboptimal. And what's the worst choice you can make? To do nothing and not care. She said, good, write that down. Now you know what number three is. Once you know what their dream is, you know where they're out of balance, you have to teach them. They have choices to make, and those choices have to be made on values because you can't make a choice without a value to guide it. 
I tell people all the time, your yes has no value until you learn to say no. And you don't know when to say no if you have no values. Yeah. You value organic food and someone hands you junk food, you say no because your value says I don't do that to myself. If you value gluten-free dieting because you know gluten messes you up, then you know when to say no and when to say yes. And so she said, four. How many doctors have we just identified? Four. So she said, there you go. You got four doctors. The first thing you do is identify what they love enough to change for. And if they don't have a dream, identify where their nightmare is because that's where most of their energy is trapped and therefore their healing power is lost in their nightmare. So whenever there's no dream, you go for the nightmare and you make that the focus and that frees up enough stress that their creativity comes back online and they figure out they're more willing to go into the process of figuring out why they're here and what their contribution to the world is. So first we figure out what the dream is. Then we do an assessment. We figure out where the imbalances are. Then we know we have choices to make, but we have to establish values based on what is happy making for you, Dr. Happy. Dr. Happy's the chief physician because it's up to each of us to decide what is happy making for us. And it's up to us to be responsible enough to make that part of our day and our week and our year. But you have to have values to guide you. So Dr. Happiness is the chief, chief physician because if you know what makes you happy, but you don't know how to eat, you don't know how to rest, and you don't know how to exercise, you'll always be sick or broken or in pain. So you'll never be able to do what makes you happy. You'll always be wishing you were doing it. So Dr. Happy is not only the person or the, the, the psychic figure involved in creating awareness of what is happy making, but having the values that give you the chance to do the things to make it sustainable. Dr. Movement means putting something into action. So movement at the physical level, the body. Movement at the emotional level means growing emotionally and healing wherever you're wounded so you can stay connected. At the mental level, we have to put things into action, right? As the Quakers say, pray and move your feet, which means if you just pray to God to ask God to make all your bills go away and fix your pimples, but you don't do anything, nothing's going to happen. So doctor movement means from a mental level, we have great ideas, but we have to put energy into them. And if we're not committed to them, then we're really wasting our time. So I teach people you have to qualify a dream. If you're not at least a seven out of a 10 scale committed to a dream, that's what I call an, a poorly qualified dream. And it's usually just a distraction from what you should be doing. So we have to look for what you really should be doing. And, and that's based on either what you need to do to heal or what your heart's calling you to do, which I have a system of exploring that, which I cover in PBS Success Mastery Lesson 1, which is all about how to find and live your dream or your legacy, your life's purpose. So then diet, you know, we have to understand that the soil is the basis of life and we have to understand we're each highly individual. There's no such thing as a diet that works for any group of people or any individual for any period of time because we're way too dynamic in our interface with the environment and our relationships with ourselves and our relationships with others, with chemicals, with exercise stress, relationship stress, emotional stress. So the human body is highly adaptive. And depending on 
how we are training. For example, I just did a, a, a pretty decent deadlift session. So I'm going to be hungry for flesh food probably for the next 36 hours. And I'll have to eat more on, more toward the lines of a, a paleo diet or more of a, like a, you know, almost bordering on ketogenic diet. Yeah. But on days when I take off, I can eat like a vegetarian and not even miss the meat. And my body does fine. So if we're breaking a lot of protein down through exercise, if we don't have the genes to extract protein out of fiber and we're on a vegetarian diet, we are going to screw ourselves up. And I've rehabbed tons of vegetarians that were trapped in a belief system, but not listening to their body. Hmm. In fact, there's a great interview with Tim Sheaf, a famous um, uh, athlete and uh, parkour, parkour world champion and, uh, you know, lots of, uh, of, of uh, high caliber athletic uh, accomplishments, but it's the story of him uh, being a vegan and then realizing it wasn't working for him and then being honest and eating some fish and healing himself, but then getting kicked out of his own company and attacked by the vegan world because he was being honest. So it's, it's a great story, but it shows you how dangerous a belief system is. Yeah. So the point is, we have to engage Dr. Diet and we have to engage rest. If we don't rest ourselves, we can't regenerate. Our creativity goes down the toilet because the more stressed we get, more tired we get, the more stressed we get, the more left brain we get, the higher our cortisol levels get, the more of a fight or flight reaction, the more we start reacting out of programmed fear responses and the less creativity we have. So ultimately what I ended up with is four doctors and a four step process. What is your dream? Where are you out of balance? What choices are you willing to make? And here's the four doctors you got to be aware of. Cheers. Some tobacco and herbs for you. <laughs> One of my go. tricks for staying healthy. <laughs> yeah. So I, in, your, in your book, I go through all of these in my scores. And if anybody wants to get more in depth, uh, how to eat, move, and be healthy, the second edition. Uh, very good. So for me, anybody, my stress was a 40. So it was pretty high. Uh, makes makes sense. I'm selling my condo. It's been a crazy 2020. Yeah. Uh, you know, I am what I eat. Low 14. Uh, my sleep wake cycle was a 10. Low, so that's good. Uh, digestion seven. Low, but fungus and parasites was I was at a 75. That's high. So you better was, do something about it. That's pretty high. So I was I was going through uh, all of that, and I've, I've got the fillings in my teeth, which was one of them. Uh, I can't remember what else. It, uh, mood swings. Yeah, energy highs and lows, mood swings can have skin problems, um, mm -hmm. bowel irregularity, uh, poor. Uh, if you've got a bad enough fungal or parasite infection, one of the telltale signs is you wake up around two to three o'clock in the morning, hot and sweaty, mm -hmm. and then you can't get back to sleep until just before you're supposed to get up. <laughs> so you lay there, wound up, like you're jacked up on adrenaline. The reason is, is Parasites have the opposite day-night cycle of human beings. So their sun is the moon. So when it's high moon, that's the peak of their activity, hmm. where that's the where we're at our most anabolic spot. But that's when they do all their egg burying. So they eat into their target organs, which creates huge amounts of inflammation to lay their eggs in your body. So at night, they're eating your food and eating into your body to put their larva inside their target organs. So you have liver flukes, kidney flukes. you got worms like Ascaris that favor the liver gallbladder system, some that like the lungs. So what happens is 
when they're eating into you, it's bringing your inflammatory markers way up. So your body's releasing tons of cortisol, which is an activating hormone, <clears throat> stimulates the reticular activating system, and it makes you awake and alert. So you wake up hot because at night your metabolism's supposed to slow down. That's why we make me sleep better when it's cooler. Yeah. So all of a sudden you wake up hot and sweaty and you're wide awake. And then you get so tired, you fall asleep five minutes before the alarm goes off. And then what do people do? They drink tons of coffee and make it worse. Right. And coffee's loaded with sugar. They, people don't realize that. But all you got to do is pick up a coffee cup or an espresso cup that's been sitting on the table long enough that there's just a stain in the bottom and smell it. And it smells like syrup because coffee's loaded with carbohydrate. And when you run it through hot water, it pulls all the sugars out of it. Wow. Well, so I don't wake up at two in the morning in a sweat, so maybe I'm parasite free, but I needed to take care of those. I, other I steps. wouldn't assume that. I would say that you're just healthy enough right now that it's going to be easy to clear it, but it's a good idea to do a general parasite cleanse in my course, how to he, uh, healing, healing fungal and parasites, the absolute essentials tells you everything you need to know to heal most of those fungal and parasite infections and a lot of stuff that people just need to know to be healthy, period. But the point I'm making is that there's an example of something. Now, research shows that about 90% of the world population has a fungal infection. And other research shows about 90% of the world population has an active parasite infection. So that means 9 out of 10 people are walking around with an infection. So by definition, we all have fungus, funguses and parasites in our body. That's normal. Yeah. You know, about depending on which research you look at, between 50 and 90% of the cells that make up our body are not even human. They're funguses, viruses, and bacteria, and bugs, parasites. But our body uses them to inform it about the environment. So if you have normal levels of fungal and parasites, you don't have an infection, you have a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Infection is when you're, you've got more inflammation and or they're consuming more of your resources then allows you to maintain your health and your vitality and you start getting symptoms. Makes sense. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to take care of that. I, I didn't realize that that was it, the percentage of people that have some sort of uh, parasite infection. It's, it's huge. It's very, very high and it's very debilitating. And I've can't even count the number of elite athletes that I track their chronic joint problems, muscle problems, tendon problems, chronic injuries, low level energy levels, low sexual performance, right back to fungal and parasite infections, which by the way, the most common cause of is not resting enough, staying up too late and eating too much carbohydrate for their body's needs, uh, mostly simple carbohydrates such as sports drinks, sports bars, uh, canned or, or packaged protein powders and, and things like that. And or just, you know, not having enough knowledge to pay attention to how their body's reacting to their food. But any kind of heavy emotional stress, financial stress, relationship stress tends to put somebody in a mode where they need comfort food. So most mm -hmm. people are, are so stressed with financial stress, relationship stress, work stress. Uh, stress with their own relationship with themselves that they're actually medicating themselves by finding foods that they psychologically associate with freedom or happy times in their lives, such as birthdays, times when mom and dad wouldn't punish you. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, yeah. 
psychologically, we reach for anything that gives us a sense of safety, security, comfort, or connects us to the concept of joy, freedom, or uh, freedom from restrictions, such as parental control. And so when people are stressed enough, they'll eat things that make their body worse, which then shows up as drops in athletic performance and the reoccurrence of chronic nagging injuries. But everybody keeps trying to treat those things without actually treating the cause, such as back problems, neck problems, shoulder problems, knee problems. And once you get fungal mycotoxins in your body, it's a very dangerous game. Those are some of the most dangerous chemicals in the world. They use them in biological warfare, for God's sakes. Um, and so what happens is the fungal, the funguses actually can debilitate the um, interleukins and cytokines, which are the immune system's messengers that allow it to talk to itself. So once you get a fungal infection, it debilitates the immune system, which lets the parasites run wild because the immune system's too debilitated to keep them under control. So most people have both. I say always start healing the fungal infection first because the same dietary restrictions you have to be on a fungal, antifungal diet are almost identical to an anti-parasite diet. So it not only gets rid of the um, funguses and decreases the mycotoxins, which allows the immune system to function, but it puts you on a dietary regime that's uh, anti-parasitic as well. So if they won't make the transition to heal the funguses, they'll probably never get rid of the parasites anyhow, because you can't get rid of parasites unless you do what you got to do to get rid of funguses. Uh, so what would, uh, what would the first few steps for people be that are trying to get rid of some sort of, you know, if they're going on antifungal diet, what would you recommend? Just a, a few things that people can do. Well, I put people on a diet that I developed called the caveman diet for seven days. And it usually blows people's minds. In fact, I've never put anybody on it. They just come back and go, Oh my God, I look better. I feel better. I'm training better. How come nobody told me to eat this way? Cause there's not much money in teaching you how to eat right. <laughs> but the caveman diet's very simple. <clears throat> no nuts, no grains, no seeds, no dairy with the exception of butter because butter has almost no dairy proteins in it. It's almost pure fat. For some people, I have to make them go to ghee uh, if they have a dairy intolerance. No nuts, no grains, no seeds, no dairy. All the vegetables you want, except no root vegetables, mm. above ground vegetables. All the meat you want. Um, you can eat fruit. If you have a fungal infection, then I would tell you not to eat the fruit except for green apples. They're, they're not too bad. And a little bit of grapefruit. Grapefruit has antifungal properties, but if you eat too much of it, they'll just adapt to anything. Hmm. So what I'm doing is I'm getting rid of all the most common inflammatory factors. Nuts, most people don't realize nuts, all nuts, grains, and seeds have phytic acids in them. Sometimes referred to as phytates. Phytic acids are acids that are in the seeds to stop it from germinating until it's got enough water, enough warmth. Let me turn that off, sorry. No enough warmth and the right temperature to germinate. But you, you have to soak nuts, grains, and seeds for at least eight hours to deactivate the phytic acids. But what triggers the germination process is enzymes. 
that's what makes food rot and that's what makes food grow is enzymes, but phytic acids block enzyme activity. So when the seed is planted and there's enough moisture, it breaks the phytic acid down and turns the enzyme systems on that activate the growth factors in the seed to produce the plant. The problem is your entire digestive process is enzymatically driven. So when you're eating nuts, grains, and seeds, you're eating enzyme blockers. And so what happens is your body burns out enzyme resources. And if you're not eating enough raw food, you don't have any enzymes coming in. So you see, by getting rid of the nuts, it allows your enzymes to, to functionally break your food down for the first time. And a lot of people just eat piles of nuts. They can graze on nuts all day long, nuts in bars, bags of nuts, trail mix. Athletes have piles of nuts in their diet. And remember, gluten is in all grains except corn, rice, buckwheat, and millet. So people drinking beer are getting gluten. People eating pizzas and breads and cookies and cakes and pizzas are bringing piles of gluten in, which is highly, highly inflammatory. Then when you get rid of the root vegetables, you get rid of the concentrated sugars, like a sweet potato is enough to just fire up a fungal infection through the roof or a parasite infection. So potatoes are very, all root vegetables are dense source of carbohydrates. You can eat a, a little bit of a carrot if it's raw, but if you cook carrots, they get too sweet and they'll feed these infections. So what happens is after seven days of not eating nuts, grains, seeds, or root vegetables, but just eating a little bit of fruit, fresh produce, and meat, people all of a sudden, their muscle definition comes back. I've had people lose... 16 pounds in one week and they say how is this possible i say because what you didn't you didn't lose fat what happened is is you stopped inflaming your body and your body has now let you pee out and you defecate out all the extra water that was being held because whenever you're inflamed your body holds water to try to cool itself down and to control inflammation water is the antagonist of fire inflammation is fire in the body so you've just lost a pile of water weight. That's why you can see your muscles for the first time in years. Okay. Because you can't lose weight that quickly unless you starve someone. And these people are eating as you can eat as much food as you want. There's no limit on calories, but what you're doing is getting rid of common inflammatory uh, foods. And then I put them on a four day rotation diet, which is right in my book, how to eat, move and be healthy. Mm -hmm allows you to test things one at a time. So you say you love almonds. I say, okay, um, Joey, if you want to try almonds, try them by themselves with something you know doesn't bother you. So for example, if you normally have um, eggs and oatmeal, and we've cleared those as not problem foods, have almonds and eat those, but if you can do it by itself, it's even better because otherwise you, the more food you're eating, the harder it is to track the source, right? Yeah. So for example, I'll say just eat almonds for breakfast or eat some something that you like with the almonds, but keep it to one thing, like maybe um, gluten-free toast with almond butter. And all of a sudden, boom, they get a headache or they get really lethargic and tired and they go, oh my God, these almonds just zap the shit out of me. 
but I never felt that before. How come all of a sudden I'm feeling it? I say, because whenever you repeatedly expose the immune system to something that stresses it, after a while, in order to save energy, it has to decide what's the most important threat. So if you've got cancer cells in your body and you've got things like heavy metal toxicity and viruses and bacteria and fungi and parasites, the immune system has to start regulating in a priority where it's going to spend its energy. And so you can see this, it's, it's an ad ad adaptation process. Nobody starts smoking cigarettes and says, oh, I love this. They cough and gag. Rarely ever does anyone drink beer and go, oh, I love this. Coffee, most people don't drink coffee and say, I love this. So when you repeatedly expose your body to these things, it adapt adaptively responds and it acclimatizes, but once the priority is such that there's too many things to go after, it just stops paying attention to the lesser threats. <laughs> so typically what happens, the research that I've studied shows that usually the first two or three years of life, your body will make a very intense reaction against things that are common foods that irritate us, such as most anything we eat, but parents don't have enough knowledge to know what's happening. So you, you walk around, you see sick looking kids everywhere because parents are feeding them all kinds of crap. And for me, I'm like, oh, these poor kids, they're dying and their parents don't realize it. But then after about 30 years, the research says somewhere between age 30 and 35, the body makes another run at it. It tries to fight it off again. So all of a sudden people start reacting to cigarettes, reacting to alcohol, reacting to gluten, re reacting to all sorts of shit because it's really the body going into a survival reaction to try to get the inflammation or the threat out of the body. And it knows if it doesn't do it, it's going to die eventually because it's depleted. It's so depleted. And so what I'm pointing out is that a lot of these people have no idea that they react negatively to nuts or negatively to cookies or negatively to sports bars because their body is too overloaded and it's prioritizing more serious threats. But once you take them out for seven days, the immune system has a chance to recover and, and get its energy back and it hasn't been exposed, so it calms down. Mm -hmm. Then when you reintroduce it, boom, you know something's going on. Wow. Uh, you know, I did a, um, did a five day fast earlier this year. So uh -huh. that, that was one of the times where my brain started to feel mm pretty good, but my body felt incredibly weak. I, was have, I wasn't having any calories. I lost like 13 pounds. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then once I started reintroducing, I think I started with like raw, like kale and vegetables right away. I, I started feeling pretty good, but pretty soon after that, I mean, I, I have a lot of nuts and every now and then I'm running around training 10, 12 people a day. I'll grab a bar or a shake or something. I started to feel like shit again. Yes. That's so, what's going on. <laughs> so I, I could see I could see, but I'm like, man, He's diagnosing me right now. Oh uh, yeah, that is probably I'm what's sure happening. You're not alone. <laughs> I'm sure almost everybody uh, listening to you is like, oh, <laughs> maybe like, that's it. Yeah, that that's probably it. All right, and you were talking. Uh, I was listening to one of your breathing podcasts, and you, you were saying that nobody who has sugar is going to really be able to breathe that well. No, and that that is something that you don't hear. Well, this is the first time I ever heard it. Was from you. Can you go into that a little bit? Yes, sugar, uh, processed sugar in particular, you know, there's carbohydrate is, we, we, 
is, is really sugar, right? So right. an apple is sugar, a banana is sugar, a vegetable is sugar. And then you have the glycemic index that tells you, well, how sweet is it? Like mm -hmm. table sugar and white flour are almost the same glycemic index, except white flour is even higher in some scales. Why? Because when you grind flour to the level that they make flour out of it, it covers something like 10,000 times more surface area than the grain itself. So you take one grain of wheat, run it through a flour mill, and it'll cover 10,000 times the surface area that that grain of wheat originally would cover, which means that one piece of wheat that you can hold in your little fingertips now can cover a huge area of your small intestine. So if you ate the grain of wheat and just chewed it up, it would be still not that big, right? Because you, yeah. your mouth is not going to grind it like a flour mill. But when you take a grain and run it through a flour mill, it will now cover such a large section of your small intestine. You've got, you've got 50,000 microvilli per square millimeter. You've got what's called the brush border. So the microvilli have these little fingertips on them that pick up amino acids and the key things, nutrients the body's looking for, and they pull them through the gut wall into the body. So if you take a grain of flour and grind it down to 10,000 times, it's like you now have millions and millions of little tiny grains of flour that the body can pull in and it can pull them in so quick it raises your blood sugar as fast as sugar. But processed sugar is an acid and it's a very powerful acid. That's one of the reasons you can use Coca-Cola to take rust off of bumpers and stains off of floors, etc. And Coca-Cola will melt a nail in just a few days. You can take a roofing nail or a standard carpentry nail, drop it in a glass of Coke, come back in a few days, it'll be completely gone. And there's 12 teaspoons in a can of sugar, I mean, in a, in a can of Coca-Cola. 12 teaspoons of sugar. Jeez. A big gulp has something like one and a quarter cups of sugar in it. <laughs> now, so when you drink anything or eat anything with processed sugar in it, it goes through your body because it doesn't really have to be digested very much. It's too synthesized. So it just walks right into your body. That's why people get an almost instant sugar high when eating things like chocolate or cookies or sweet stuff. The problem is, is that your blood has to be regulated in pH extremely tightly or you'll die. The pH of the blood has to be 7.35. So once you start eating processed sugar or drinking it, it shifts your body toward acid very quickly and it'll get into your bloodstream. And in order for you to keep your blood at 7.35, the body has to start hyperventilating because oxygen is an alkalinizer for the blood and oxygen goes into the blood immediately. Your blood circulates through your body about every three and a half, three and a half to five seconds. So your blood's moving around very, very quickly through your body. So once you acidify the body with sugar, the body starts to bring your respiratory rate up to bring enough oxygen in to alkalinize all the acid that you're eating from the sugar. So I giggle because all the, you know, not picking on anybody, I'm just making a point, Wim Hof and, and millions of people teaching breathing workshops, but people aren't looking at the psychological factors, they're not looking at the traumatic factors or the dietary factors, or their structural factors that stop them from breathing properly anyhow so you're learning all these fancy breath control techniques that are treating the symptoms of the actual causes that you're not addressing 
and diet is one of the most rapid ways to screw your breathing pattern up. And when your breathing speeds up, it triggers the sympathetic nervous system. So once you go above baseline breathing, as you start doing faster and faster breathing, oxygen's highly stimulatory. And in nature, we don't ever have to breathe fast unless we're running for our life or fighting for our life. So once you start hyperventilating, you get a sympathetic switch where your sympathetic system becomes much more dominant, which is the fight or flight system, which is the system that produces adrenaline and cortisol in the body. So when a person's breathing rate is up chronically like that, they can't sleep very well, they can't think very well, their creativity goes down, they're emotional, they're edgy, they're buzzy. Everything's kind of like, uh, it's like one crisis after another, relationships don't work well, they're not patient, they don't do good parenting because they don't realize that when you're breathing that way to protect your blood, you're also firing up the sympathetic system which is the system that divides your energy, uses your energy, and it has to be counterbalanced by the anabolic system, which is the rest and recovery, growth, regenerate and repair system, mm -hmm. which is heavily dependent upon sleep and bringing your blood sugar down and the release of melatonin. If you have too much sugar in your body, you have too much cortisol, which antagonizes melatonin, so you never drop into a deep sleep. You might sleep eight hours, but you wake up feeling like you're hungover and tired, and, you know, there's a myriad of indicators that I teach to look for in my holistic lifestyle coach training program, particularly HLC2. HLC1 is my baseline course for the public, but HLC2 is my first professional level training. So I show you how to read people's bodies so you know exactly what's going on and it's very reliable. But you, so, so what I'm saying is ultimately oxygen alkalinizes the blood and oxygen by the way also excites muscle contraction <laughs> when you're about to do a max deadlift or squat what do you do unconsciously with your breathing right hold brace no but before that watch the olympics oh, watch right, power take, yeah, take, take what do people do breath. right before a big lift <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know why they're doing it the reason they're doing it is the brain saying you've got to get a lot of oxygen here. Yeah. Why? Because oxygen facilitates the act, the binding action of calcium and the actin and myosin filaments. So when we oxygenate our bodies before a heavy lift, we're exciting the entire actin and myosin filament system, which is how the muscle engages and contracts, right? Right. So the point I'm making is when you start breathing too much, you can facilitate spasm and muscle contraction in your body and wherever you're holding on to emotions or wherever you have injuries or wherever you have ergonomic imbalances such as keyboards that are too low or, or computer screens too low, your postural muscles are hyperactive, but now with the stimulation of all that oxygen, they're cramping all the time. So people are constantly getting pains in their necks, pains in their shoulders, pains in their backs, and they're aching all the time. And so then they start taking muscle relaxants and pills and blah, blah, blah. It goes on forever, right? And then they yeah. come to me and I'm saying, well, <laughs> it's a diet problem. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't know how to breathe right. And you're not going to learn to breathe right until you get your diet right because your breathing's compensating to try to keep you alive because you're making bad choices because you're uneducated about how to care for a human body and how to live a human life. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, so they, they fix their diet, they go through this and, 
Uh, you talk about the yin and the yang. You've gone through that. And, and working in, is this a point yeah. where once, once you fix that, and this is, a, this is an interesting concept, uh, you know, everyone understands working out. But you, you right. talk about breathing squats and working in and Tai Chi. Uh, yeah. is, this, is this the point once they fix that and so you start working on working in? No, you start working in right away. The more catabolically stressed you are, the more overheated, overstimulated, overexcited, or burned out, which mm -hmm. is, I teach my holistic lifestyle coach students, you go through two phases, burnout, which means you're overly inflamed, overly excited, working too much, doing too much, too much metabolic activity, too much mental, emotional activity. So the system's always wound up. This is why, for example, eating past about seven o'clock at night is a bad idea because your organs and glands don't get any rest at night. So you can actually burn the system out by eating too late at night. Mm -hmm. So working out by definition means you're spending more energy and more resources per unit of time than the exercise or the activity brings back to your body. You understand that? Yeah. Okay. Now think of how many times you've gone to the gym on a, say a rest day, felt a bit tired, but laid on the ground and did nothing but stretching, got up and went, Oh my God, my head's clear and I feel so much better. Why? Because fascia is an electorate which means by definition, scientifically, it produces electromagnetic energy when you stretch it. Hmm. So whenever you stretch tight muscles, you're actually using the fascial structure to produce energy just the way you can squeeze a crystal and get a spark out of it or a shot of light out of it, which is why crystals were used as tuners and radios for a very long time until we developed um, solid state technology. But if you study the history of radios, crystals are used. And when you turn the dial, they're actually putting pressure on a crystal, which changes the frequency that it sends and receives on. And fascia is a, basically functions like a crystal. It's technically called an electret, which is any substance that produces an electromagnetic charge when it's deformed. So by laying there and stretching, you're actually using a passive technology which releases energy. And since each of your muscles is connected to glands and organs, not only through the nervous system, but through the meridian system, you're unlocking energy uh, areas that are too tight, which disrupts the flow of energy through meridians and through the muscles, and then changes the balance in the nervous system between the musculoskeletal system and the organs, which are what feeds it. Okay. So for example, if somebody has a lot of emotions trapped in their heart about grief, a divorce, or a death in the family, or the loss of a pet that they love, they can find that their chest muscles are tight and their breathing's restricted, but they don't realize it's because the emotional stress that's unresolved is sitting in the heart region, and that unconsciously is alive inside of you. So whatever we don't know how to resolve actually lives inside of us but it lives in the background, but it's still very active. There's an old saying, feelings buried alive never die. So this person keeps thinking, God, there's something wrong with my chest. A lot of people get rib pain from that, but I find, for example, it's an emotional problem. So then I would give them a zone four exercise, which would have stretches and breathing techniques, such as opening and supinating as you inhale with the awareness that you're breathing through the heart. So I say, bring your consciousness. Imagine as you inhale, 
you're breathing through the heart. And as you exhale, you're breathing any pain, sadness, or stress out of your body. And by bringing your awareness to that energy center, all of a sudden thoughts, feelings, and emotions start rising up. And you start remembering, oh my God, this happened to me, that happened to me, I'm still sad about that. But now what was in the unconscious, which you can't work with by definition, you're unconscious of it. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden it starts coming up into consciousness which allows you now to objectify it. You actually give it a name. You say, oh, there's the stress about my grandmother dying, or oh, I'm really feeling sad because I lost Fido and I love Fido. And so now you say, okay, now that I can recognize the stressor, I can name it, I can blame it, and I can tame it. So when I feel my chest tightening up, it's my reminder that I have healing to do. So then I connect to my feelings and thoughts about the loss of my dog. And I say, I realize I lost my dog. I love my dog and I still love my dog. Wherever you're at, I love you, Fido. And I can breathe through it and I can alleviate the pain. I can actually work with it now. And I know that I have the ability to get another dog and I can create a little altar for my dog and send love to my dog every day so I don't lose the connection. So when you take something from the subjective unconscious into the objective, now it loses control over you because you're aware of the activity of it inside your body. And you know that by breathing through that and opening it up, you can normalize the flow of energy in there and you can put your awareness on the emotion. And whenever you do that, I tell people, think of the trapped emotion like an ice cube. Think of your conscious attention and awareness as warm water. And when you use your breath to regulate the flow like a manual pump, you breathe consciousness and warmth into the emotion and it begins to dissolve. And now you begin to engage it. And once you fully bring yourself into touch with the emotion and you really engage it, it begins to heal. And now something that was unconscious and controlling your life and making your health feel bad, you realize later that was all the psyche's attempt the soul's attempt to bring your awareness there most pain is to redirect our awareness to where we have unresolved emotional or mental traumas or bad habits that we need to address such as overtraining or um, having too limited of a number of exercises things like that so i call that the pain teacher the pain teacher always brings you to where you need more awareness to manage yourself so that you can live and love more fully God is not malicious. The, the universe is not malicious. The world's not malicious. So pain is actually the quickener of consciousness. And it's the job of a therapist not to numb it, not to take it away beyond what they can do for themselves. You see, when people like Robbie Madison and all these people I mentioned come to me, they had problems that they didn't know how to fix by themselves and they didn't have the skills. But once I do what I can do as a skilled therapist, I teach them what they've got to do to engage the actual issue and manage it and heal whatever thoughts, feelings, or emotions are attached to it, or it just keeps coming back until you do the healing work, because if you don't, you can't grow. And, and you know, what's the point of being fit? I tell people, I don't give a shit if you can squat a thousand pounds if you can't get along with your wife and kids. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's not going to help your marriage. 
that doesn't amount to anything. And we've got a whole culture full of people that think just because their bodies look good, that their whole life is solved. But when you look at what their life really is and the importance of relationships, it turns out that most of that strengthening and buffing up and flexing and look at me is really a, a, a strategy to avoid dealing with the challenges that they feel like they're out of control with. So people tend to overemphasize what they think they can control as a compensation for avoiding what they don't want to look into and exercise as a common addiction and making your body look like you're a Greek God. Usually when it gets to the point where you can see it's a fixation or an addiction, which is easy to tell, all you got to do is say, Oh, by the way, the gym's closed today. Sorry. (laughs) Or, um, sorry. Um, you can't use that machine. It's broken. And then someone throws a temper tantrum or, Oh my God, my, you know, the world's coming apart. So to the degree they cannot improvise and adapt, it indicates there's an addiction there, which is, which is really an attempt to find safe love, something they can do that makes them feel connected that they think they can control. And then um, if that is an escape, then the problems that they really need to address get worse because the energy they're spending in the gym beyond what would be healthy and vital is a distraction from doing the work that they need to do. There's a lot of meatheads that are going to be like, I'm okay. If my leg press is broken, I can do something else. Uh, Well, that's okay. That's a start. But I think if you, anybody that just looks honestly at their relationship with exercise, their relationship with food, with money, with sex, with pornography, with phones, with uh, video, television, Instagram, Facebook, um, and just ask themselves what happens. You know, Joseph Campbell, one of the world's greatest mythologists and experts on world religion said, if you want to know who your God is, ask yourself what you cannot do with out what you can't do without for two or three days if you can't do without coffee you've met one of your gods if you can't do without sex you you met one of your gods if you can't do without weightlifting you met one of your gods the question is are your gods working for you or or are you their servant <laughs> are you their slave <laughs> There's a lot of, there's a lot of slaves, Paul. All right. I I, I won't keep you too long. I got, I got a couple more questions for you. So this is fad or future podcast. What are, what are things that you see in health, fitness, nutrition, holistic lifestyle that you kind of wish uh, or fads that people would go, would stop doing? What do you just like, it's kind of wasting their time. The grand majority of the whole biohacking industry is a complete cop out on doing the work it takes to be healthy. If you just paid attention, you wouldn't need some fucking gadget to tell you how many calories you burned or that you just exercised or what your heart rate is or whether you're sleeping good or not. I mean, this is just like a complete departure from the responsibility of having a human body. You know, I say to people, if you're going to use devices like that, let them teach you something and learn what you're supposed to learn so you can get rid of the device or you've just got another gadget you're dependent upon. Mm -hmm. But nobody could have survived in the millions of years we lived in nature with freaking gadgets strapped (laughs) to them all the time and needing batteries and, you know, where's my aura ring? I don't know what to do without (laughs) it. Oh, 
fuck, then you're not even an athlete, right? You're just another extension of technology. You've become an android yourself that's dependent upon other androids. So I, I, I think the whole biohacking thing, which just gone crazy with chips and chemicals and shortcuts and penis enlargers and <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, it's like I see this shit going on and I'm like, this is, you know, dumber than dumb. And, you know, I've talked to Ben Greenfield about it too I've, and pinned him on it and said, let's get to the bottom of this. How much of this biohacking is just a cop out on doing this real work? And he said, yeah, most of it. Yeah. Laird Hamilton, I just interviewed Laird. He said the same thing. Most of it, he said, most people live like you teach them to live. They wouldn't need all those gadgets, right? Yeah. I've trained piles and piles of athletes to not need those gimmicks because you learn from them, right? When I was a fighter and an athlete, a serious athlete, yeah, I'd use a heart rate monitor, but I use a heart rate monitor to learn, okay, when I'm running this hard, I'm at this level of exertion because when I feel this way and I check my heart rate, it's 189 or 90, okay? So that's about, you know, uh, at that time, it was probably, uh, you know, 95% maximum heart rate. So, okay, that's what 95% effort feels like. Yeah. When I'm doing a max effort, like a 25-mile time trial, um, on my bicycle as part of my triathlon training, well, you'll be, I'll hit them. I'll hit my maximum friggin' heart rate and be just drowning in lactic acid. The question is, can I survive the next 10 miles of that uh, at 15 miles? Right? But the point I'm making is I'm always learning. And it's the same with plant medicines. I tell people, if you, if you don't learn from the plant medicines, then the only time you feel connected or you feel the presence of God, or you feel love is when you got mushrooms or ayahuasca or some drug in you. But the, the medicines are there to teach you what you're capable of all the time. So try smoking some really good pot and doing Tai Chi and you'll notice, wow, you're just tapped into nature and you can feel the plants talking and the trees talking. I guess what, they're talking all the time. So the pot just taught you, hey, guess what? There's a whole conversation going on around you and you're supposed to be part of it. But you don't have to use the pot. Once you realize it's going on, get up and go talk to your flowers. Water them, love them, talk to your trees, talk to your animals. And then you see the pot becomes a teacher instead of a crutch. If you have sex while you're using mushrooms and you have the greatest sex of your life and you have to say, well, what do the mushrooms teach me? Well, what they do is they dissolve the ego. So now you realize, oh, sex will be a lot better if I just drop down any agendas about what I'm supposed to do or how it's supposed to become and just go into a total dance with my partner where there's no rules or it's just flow. Yeah. And then the mushrooms taught you how to make love, right? So the point, without going through a long list, our bodies teach us, the gadgets can teach us, the plant medicines can teach us, but we've got to be aware of the fact, you know, Rudolf Steiner said, man will continue to invent technologies outside of himself until he either realizes that everything he's inventing is a copy of a more advanced technology within himself or he destroys the world. The question is, which will come first? Okay, that was in about 1897, Steiner said that. Carl Jung said almost identically the same things in about 1950. And both of these were very wise human beings. And look where we're at now. 
we're inventing very dangerous technologies outside of ourselves that are copies of what's in ourselves. But ultimately, if we would just realize that we have the technology to communicate to the entire universe, which is why I often recommend the book Stalking the Wild Pendulum by Itzhak Bentov. Itzhak Bentov was the inventor of the pacemaker. He was the first man to scientifically study the physiological effects of meditation on the human body. And he wrote this book, which gives a scientific explanation of spirituality, what it is, what are divas, what are gods, and how does this relate to the human nervous system, and what is the range of frequency the human being can connect to. And guess what? He showed it goes from all the way from atoms to pure consciousness. We're right in the position to have the best of the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, the mineral kingdom right inside of us. And we have the capacity to go all the way up in frequency to zero source and all the way down to the vibrating atoms. And it's been demonstrated endless numbers of times by mystics and clairvoyants and remote viewers and everybody else. And so he gives you a scientific structure to understand the spiritual life that helps left brain people realize this isn't just a bunch of foo-foo shit. There's really actually, you know, it took the entire universe to make you. Every part of the universe is involved in a human being. And when people get over their limited scientific materialist reductionist viewpoints, I mean, that's the beauty of plant medicines. They, all of a sudden you can see plants and trees breathing. You can feel people's thoughts. The sun has wild, wild effects on you and talks to you. The moon will talk to you. Everything comes alive. You enter into what's actually the magical level of consciousness, which is what we were in in nature. We had to know the sounds of animals to know when we were being hunted by them or when there was danger. We had to know what was going on in the plant kingdom because it fed us. So we were in a much deeper fusion. And if you look at the art of people using mushrooms, ayahuasca, and most psychedelics, there's all sorts of indications of a fusion into nature. Like there's no division. You'll see pictures where out of somebody's head is growing trees and there's in their chest, there's a bird. And they realize that these things are all part of us and that we've departed so far from the truth of ourselves that we now treat everything in nature like objects we cut, burn, slash, and destroy, thinking, oh, you know, it's just dirt, it's just rocks, it's just trees, fuck it. Make another shopping mall, build more bombs, torture the fucking place, who gives a shit? But once you take plant medicines, you realize, oh my God, <laughs> the topsoil is the stomach of this planet and the oceans are its blood, and the water systems are its circulatory system, and the lungs are the trees and the plants and the atmosphere, and you realize whatever you do to planet Earth, you're doing to yourself. And to the degree you abuse yourself, you become confused about what's around you. We've just gone far enough down the rabbit hole right now that you know we've attracted a, 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 a pandemic to wake us up and to get us to hold still and to start paying attention to the fact. And, and if you really look at, without a long dissertation, what viruses are and exosomes are, 
their genetic information being sent by trouble spots in the world to upregulate our genes so we can adapt so we don't die, but also to let us know there's big trouble. You got to take care of all this pollution. You got to take care of all this destruction because you're killing yourself and you're killing nature. Wow. You yourself, I, I don't know how much knowledge is up in that brain of yours, but it, it's, it's not it's, in it, my brain. <laughs> where is it at? It's in the field. That's been proven by research. You know, the most powerful computer in the world is the Cray supercomputer. Now they have some quantum computers, but the hard drive's made of water. Really? And for years, scientists have wondered how in the hell can water store so much information? But current research, which Greg Braden talks about on his show, Missing Links, scientific evidence proved this because they were investigating this with all these computers and they found that the water molecule which has the almost the widest range of frequencies of any material substance. Water molecules are sensitive to almost every, every range of frequency, but they show that the water molecules interfacing with a field and the field is non-local. So the mind of the universe, which is called big mind, is actually like an ocean of consciousness in which our mind is like a little whirlpool but we don't store information in our brains. We store it in our field, in our aura, which connects to the universe and is a non-local storage system, which means any thought or knowledge you and I have is everywhere and accessible to everybody at once, but we have greater access to it because it's come through us. So it's kind of like it's got our signature on it. But this is why great inventions pop up on opposite sides of the world and then they fight over whose invention it was, but they don't realize they're tapping into the mind of the universe because they had the same desire or intention, but didn't realize that's common knowledge. So the, the, the thing is I'm saying is, yes, I have a lot of knowledge, but it's not in my brain. It's in the field. And I have a lot of knowledge because there's a lot of knowledge on the planet and there's a lot of knowledge in the universe. And I just know how to ask questions and get still and listen for the answers. But in reality, the answers are there for all of us because anything that I have access to, you have access to because it's part of the field and there's piles of books. A great book is uh, One Mind by Larry Dossie. It'll blow your mind. And it's full of scientific research. Wow. Paul Check, truly appreciate you coming on. Um, and sharing your cloud of information because it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's in your cloud. Uh, so where can people find you? Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> he, he's, he's everywhere. Uh, Czech Institute, uh, you're, you're online, Instagram, social media. You've got a pl plethora of uh, YouTube videos. Uh, I'll give you some sites. Uh, Czechinstitute.com, C-H-E-K institute.com. Our new media site, which is loaded with stuff for free, great stuff, is chekiva.com, C-H-E-K-I-V-A. Akiva is a Pueblo Indian place of worship. So Czech Kiva means Czech Institute's place of worship, where we share knowledge with the world to, to help make the world a better place. My YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash Paul C-H-E-K live. Paul Check Live. There's over 550 videos on there. Many of them go in, you know, none of my stuff is superficial, fluffy junk food. Um, you know, if you don't have the patience to listen to real teachings, you're not ready to grow yet. So go listen to uh, small minds and that's okay. Eventually you'll be in enough pain to listen to wise people. <laughs> um, 
and then um, Czech Institute, YouTube, um, Chakiva, and then um, my PPS Success Mastery Lessons, they're ppssuccess.com. That's Personal, Professional, Spiritual Success Mastery. That's also on the Czech Institute, but you can go directly to those 12 lessons, which are the key lessons I developed to help people remove the most common obstacles to achieving your dreams and living a healthy, happy life. And they're potent. Um, uh, I got so many sites, you see. Um, my blog is paulchecksblog.com, um, but that's the written version of what I put on YouTube. And my podcast, and I've got loads of great interviews with genius minds of yeah. all sorts of types and, and very, very interesting and deep people, scientists, uh, you, you name it, philosophers, uh, doctors, you know, all the issues I try to cover and get into the core of them. So my podcast is, is not a shallow podcast. The, the episodes range from two to three hours and we mm -hmm. get really deep. Um, that's living 4D, living number four, capital D with Paul Check. It's on iTunes. It's on most podcast outlets. And if you go to the Czech Institute homepage, there's a podcast tab there. You can find all the podcasts and the show notes um, there. Great. Well, thanks for coming on. Like I said, I truly appreciate it. It's been an honor and pleasure of mine. And I'm going to work on my own cloud and, and pulling things in. And uh, it's another episode of the Fatter Future Podcast. I'm Joey Thurman. Don't be a fatty, F-A-D-D-Y. Be a part of the future. Hey, Cheers. before you go, do you know what FAD stands for in my lingo? I do not. Forthcoming anatomical dysfunction. <laughs> I developed that acronym years ago because I saw all these people getting in all these fads. I mean, you could use the Reebok core board for everything from herpes to hemorrhoids, <laughs> uh, you know, all these gadgets and fads. And I said, you know, if you don't know how to exercise and eat properly, then all those things are just forthcoming anatomical dysfunction. That's, that's a perfect way to leave this. All right. There you go. Cheers. Sure